by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. You already know you're all Bible scholars. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Isn't that the kind of welcome you want to have when you get to heaven? Well done. You're a good and faithful servant. Let's celebrate together. Man, you were faithful with what I gave you. Now, it doesn't matter if you had one bag or five bags, does it? So we're not comparing one another, but it's according to what you have. And tonight's message is the sixth part in our series called Does It Edify? And we're going to call it Faithful Servants. You guys, if you've been here on Wednesday nights, you know we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. Of course, when you think about Nehemiah, you think about being a wall builder. The walls of Jerusalem have been burned and crumbled down through the Babylonians taking over. And Nehemiah heard about it and he asked for permission to go out of exile back to rebuild the walls. And he's given permission and he rebuilds the walls. Because why? Nehemiah is a restorer, a deliverer, and a builder. And I keep telling you guys, you are too. You're a deliverer. You help deliver people out of their sinful lifestyles. You, you, you got delivered yourself at one point. You're a restorer. You're a repairer. You're a builder. You build people up. And we, begin, we need to begin to see ourselves like Nehemiah's. We can't stand to see a wall torn down. I've been thinking about my life. I even mentioned it to Angie today. I didn't know I was going to mention it here tonight, but as I get older, all my time I spend in restoration or fixing or repairing. Mike's been at the house with me for a couple weeks now. Have I sat down for long? I'm spray painting this. I'm screwing this back together. I'm making a, doing a wood project. I'm doing, I'm doing something all the time because that's where I seem. I'm learning to get my joy. I wonder if that's why Jesus was a carpenter. He was always building something. He loved to see things restored, delivered, and built. Well, anyway, they restored, delivered, and built the walls. And so they had protection around their city. I like to think of that as like the day the city got saved. <laughs> and you could think of it as when your life, in your life, is when you gave your heart to Jesus. All those walls that had been torn down by the devil were put back up. And now you have a defense. And so Nehemiah... We, we see, much to my surprise, that it wasn't all about the wall. We get about halfway through the book, and we realize that he's talking more about maintaining the walls after you get them up than he is about building the walls. Now, I know I'm recapping for some of you that's been here, but some of you hadn't. He begins to set uh, 
guardrails in place. Things that keep you keep the walls from uh, getting breached again. Dr. J. Vernon McGee says, eternal vigilance is the price of Christian, y'all been listening? Eternal vigilance, that means you keep a watch, is the price of Christian liberty. Liberty, freedom. You want to be free from sin? You want to, you want to be free from fear of the enemy and free from reaping the wages of what you've been doing? <laughs> you want to be free from all those fears? You want to be a man of faith instead of a man of fear? Well, you got to be eternally vigilant because the devil is roaming about seeking whom he may devour. So God's people got the walls up. They repented of their sins. They began to assemble together like as a church. They began to read God's word. They began to worship together. They began to dream again. Some people don't dream anymore. The world kind of Knocked them down, so to speak. All their walls are in, looking like rubble and no sense dreaming. But once you get those walls back up, you begin to think, what can I do? And then you begin to dream again. So they begin to dream and they became aligned with God's vision for today. See, God's had a vision all along. We've just been mostly missing out on it because we didn't know any better. But now that the walls are built, now we're hearing from God, we're aligning ourselves with his word, he's, beginning, he's still speaking, and now we're beginning to listen. And it sparked a true revival in the people. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And that sparked a whole Sunday series, a whole Sunday message this Sunday, didn't it? The joy of his lordship will be your strength. I changed it up a little bit, a different way of seeing it. Not just the joy of the Lord like it's something automatically given, but it's the joy. The joy comes from his lordship, from doing what he says. Because you, you can call him Lord all you want, but if you ain't doing what he says, you ain't going to have no joy. You ain't going to have no peace. There ain't going to be no good results in your life. There ain't going to be nothing to be happy about. It's obedience that brings blessing, isn't it? So God's people got all excited. Like our church is starting to do, I can see it in your eyes. They begin to make some vows unto the Lord. They separated themselves from the world was the first thing. And that's one of the things the church has got to do today. You can't be trying to fit into the world and trying to fit in with God. Jesus said you can't serve the devil. You can't serve mammon and God too. You got to choose. So they separated themselves. They stopped practicing selective religion. Or today we say selective Christianity where we pick and choose out of the Bible what we agree with and we'll do what we agree with, but we ain't doing that rest because that may cost me something. No, they said, we're going to follow all your commands, God. And one of the things they said was they were not going to marry unbelievers. And these are things we talked about last week. You know, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Man, if you didn't hear the message from last week, you need to go back and listen to the podcast, especially if you're single. Because it will radically change the way you understand what God's trying to do for you. The next thing we, they did was they vowed to keep the Sabbath holy. Back then it was on a Saturday. That was the Sabbath. And they weren't supposed to do any work or anything. It was, and they had made it real legalistic. And we know that in the New Testament, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. But there is a principle there. We're not held to the law of the Sabbath. But we do, he d- did display a principle that we should live by. 
that we should come to Jesus. We should spend a day, out of, one day out of our seven, so to speak, honoring the Lord. Be a good day to go to church, you know, on a Sunday or something. And, and, and refresh yourself. I sent a text out to our leaders today about people that's getting burned out, you know, because they're taking too much on themselves and not spending enough time in the presence of the Lord. You need that Sabbath rest. Make time for Jesus. Then the last thing we got to last week was talking about making time for offerings uh, to support the church. Sometimes the church has projects going on, and Brother Tom was just talking briefly about offerings and, and how you can sow beyond your tithe into other operations of the church to keep the things running and, and the people vowed. That's what we're going to do, man. We're going to have a nice temple. That's what they were saying. We're going to accomplish what God wants to through this temple. They begin to see their lives filtered through their faith. And God is really hoping, I believe, to open the eyes of Christians in America today that you're supposed to be living out your faith. This is not just something you say you are. You are supposed to live out your Christianity. And through your local church is where you're supposed to plug in. And through that, through the, the support that you have, the structure, the roots that you dig down in your local church, that's where you're supposed to find yourself in Christ. And that's where you're supposed to use those gifts and abilities. He needs you planted. That's why he says he puts people in churches where he wants them. Because he needs you there. He needs your supply. He needs your little one bag. Or your five bags, whatever you got in that location. You're here for a reason, and not just for a season. So what, so what we found out last week, the Sabbath and the tithe. Well, we ain't got to the tithe yet, but we will tonight. But the offering last week, the Sabbath and the offering. In other words, Sabbath was God after your time. The offering was God testing you in the area of your finances. Say time and money. Those are two huge areas that God tests the heart of a human. And you've heard it said, if you want to tell, if you, want, if you don't even know where your own heart lies, go back and look at your checkbook. Where's your money going? That's what you're really interested in. That's the Lord of your life, where your money is going. And where your time, the same thing. You can look at your calendar. Where are you spending all your time? You know, my brother, he played baseball at Georgia for a couple of years after junior college. He played two years at the University of Georgia Bulldogs. And, uh, you know, he said that a couple of guys from the team got together one Saturday. They didn't have a game or something, and they... And one of them knew about this place to go swimming. So they went out to this, uh, he said it was like a, what do you call it, where they dig in the ground and get the rocks out, a, a rock pit or a gravel pit? Yeah, a quarry. That's what it was, it was a quarry. It was big. He says it's like 100 yards around, just a big circle. And there was, on the one end, there was a place where you could, you know, sit up on the rock and jump in and swim and everything. He said, you know, back in those days, they were little wild, buck wild young guys in the, on the baseball team had a day off and they had a couple six packs. They were drinking, having a good time, telling stories, you know, and, and doing what young 
fellas do that don't know the Lord. And one of them says, I bet you I could swim to the other side over there, beat y'all to the other side. They would had just enough beers. They thought that was a good idea. And so they jumped in that water. Now, Heath had already told me, my brother, he said it was so deep. You could see for 20 feet down, and it, you still couldn't see the bottom. It was clear as a bell, but there, you couldn't see the bottom. So he said all three of them was laughing. They was, you know, pretty well got a buzz going on. And they start swimming, and they're joking all the way over there, you know. And they're swimming and swimming. And, man, he, he said, I, I started thinking about halfway. Man, this is farther than we thought. You know, it didn't look this far while you was over there on the beach. He said by the time he got to that wall, he was plumb tuckered. He was wishing he wouldn't have done that. That was the stupidest thing he ever done. He's starting to think, rethink his position. But the bad part about it is when he got there, the wall was a sheer straight down, and there was nothing to even hold on to to rest. And it's just a slick wall with algae on it. And he said all the other two guys are both, they're all clawing the wall looking for some rest, and they realize there ain't going to be none. They're looking around for somebody with a boat. <laughs> and there wasn't nobody. He said by that time it was about to get dark. So they turned around, had to start swimming back, even though they were already what they thought at their limit. How many of you think that they made it? Well, my brother's here. We'll find out if the rest of them made it in a minute. Turn to Nehemiah 10. Back to our text from last week, Nehemiah 10. We're going to start in verse 35 tonight. These are the people, they've been making vows. All last week we started talking about the vows they had made. We've already recapped what they were. Now this is moving on. Nehemiah 10.35. Now they say, we promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year. In other words, continually from now on, we're going to bring the first part of our harvest to the temple. Whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees, we agree to give God our oldest sons and the firstborn of all our herds and flocks as prescribed by the law. Now, they didn't mean they were human sacrifices or nothing, but they would let their sons work at the temple, you know, their firstborn. We will present them to the priest who ministered to the temple of our God. Verse 37 says, we will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple of our God. We will bring the best of our flour and other grain offerings, the best of our fruit, and the best of our new wine and olive oil. And promise to bring the Levites a tenth of everything that our land produces. Say tenth. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes. Say tithes. How many knows what a tithe means? A tenth. That's what the word tithe means, tenth. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our rural towns. A priest, a descendant of Aaron, will be with the Levites as they receive these tithes. 
that a tenth of all that is collected as tithes will be delivered by the Levites to the temple of our God and placed in the storerooms, in the storehouse. Where is your storehouse? Right here. If, if you're a Passion Church member or, or this is where you go to church, this is your storehouse. A lot of people today, they think that the tithe is theirs to do what they want to. They, they're real loosey-goosey about their understanding of the tithe. We're going to clear up some things tonight. But the tithe goes into your local storehouse. You don't send it off to some preacher on TV or whatever. Um, it goes into the storehouse. So they promised to give their tithes. And they did. It was part of this revival that was building within the people. But many years later, of course, they would forget by the time of Malachi. Turn to Malachi. That's the book just before the New Testament, the book of Matthew. This is a very familiar scripture, but it's, it's worth repeating over and over and over until we get it. It really needs to be something preached on a Sunday because most Wednesday people understand this principle. Malachi 3.8. This is God speaking through the prophet Malachi. He says, should people cheat God? What's the answer? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Wow, you want to offend God? Steal what is due to him. Do you want to be under a curse? Well, there you go. Now you know how. Verse 10 says, bring all the tithes. Did it say 9% of the tithes? <laughs> bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. Who is this speaking again? Is he a man that he should lie? Is this a promise right out of the word of God? Do you believe the word of God? I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't even have room enough to receive it. <laughs> Hallelujah. I have experienced that. I have so much stuff, I've got plastic totes to keep my stuff under the bed. I have so much stuff, I have a storehouse outside my house to keep stuff. I have a garage filled up with stuff. And I am constantly giving stuff away. And I don't feel like I'm buying a lot of stuff. But stuff just keeps coming. It's almost like, okay, God, I'm going to stop tithing for a couple of months so I can get my house back in order. No. But he has opened up the windows of heaven and poured out blessing. There is not room enough to receive it all. And some of you are saying, well, I wish he would do that for me. Well, are you tithing? See, that's a, what you call a, a blessing that's conditional. Because if you're not tithing, you're under a curse. If you're not tithing, guess what? Your washing machine's going to break down way before mine. 
He says, I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. God is challenging you. Test me out on this. And if you went on in verse 11, I like how the King James says it. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. When the little washing machine gremlin comes, I will tell him, get on. No, this man is under the blessing. I've got his washing machine and dryer. Well, this one's kind of getting old. Take it, devourer, because i got another guy fixing to give him a better one. See, that's a blessing. I see it all the time. There's been times where my car was supposed to break down. I didn't have the money to fix it. And I said, God, I'm a tither. <laughs> and I cranked it up. And it started, and the light went off, and that didn't give me no more problems. I'm not just lying. <laughs> I'm not just preaching. I'm telling the truth. You can test God in these things. Not in everything, but in this. He's, this is the only place he says, you can test me. But you can test him in the opposite, too. You can test him and not tithe, and you're going to be cursed with a curse. All your stuff is, is going to be fighting against you. Some people say, but I don't have the money to tithe. You always have 10% of your income, and that's what the tithe is. You always have 10%. Well, I didn't make anything this week. What's 10% of nothing? You got it. Well, I only made $100. Well, your tithe's only 10. You got it. Right? You always have 10% of your increase. If you don't spend it first, everyone can and everyone should tithe. Now, we've had people, you know, stand up here and, and mean well and say, well, you don't have any money right now. That's all right. You know, you can start tithing later. No. I can't water down the Word of God. Everybody has the tithe. It is a trust issue. You say, I get to the end of the month, and I don't have any money left. I, I wanted to tithe at the, when I first got my check, but I had to pay the bills. I had to do this. I had to do that. Well, that's the problem. The tithe is supposed to be of your first fruits. It's supposed to be the first thing you write out before your bills. You don't give God your leftovers. That is insulting to him. That's the whole point is to trust him with your best. Remember what we just read. Let me go back. Nehemiah 10.35. We promise to bring the first part of every harvest. He didn't say go to the movies and out to eat and then see if you got another dollar or two you can throw in the bucket. He says, give me 10% of your increase. Y'all say, man, that, that preacher, he's just wanting my money. Y'all can think what you want. I've heard people say, well, I don't have the whole 10% this month. But I'm going to make it up next month. I'm going to get 15%. <laughs> we can't just make up rules as we go. 
The word tithe means tenth. And it commands obedience now. Well, I give what I can, but that's not what God asked. Y'all looking for a loophole, aren't you? Y'all want me to soften it and say, well, I, God knows your heart. No, no. He does know your heart. That's the problem. He's not big into excuses. And he's not asking us to practice sloppy agape. When the word of God is clear on an issue. Can y'all tell I'm just willing to tell the truth? That's what's going to set you free. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I'm not beating around the bush. Now, I don't preach on tithing very much. Some of you, if you're new here, you're probably thinking, oh, we done gotten one of the money churches. But the ones that have been here have known that we hadn't talked about money in a long time. It's time to talk about money. Jesus talked about money a lot of times. Money is a big part of our life, and it's connected straight to your heart. And if we don't talk about that, then we're just leaving a part of your heart out of the equation. we got to talk about it. we got to be real. There's all kind of crazy. Can, can uh, somebody get the lights back there? To, and we're going to show a video. This, this is supposed to be a funny video, but I laugh because you'll be surprised what you hear people think that the tithe is. Watch this. Sound? I give to God by enjoying what he has given me, okay? I mean, do you really think he expects something back? Now, I know there's a lot of people at church that would not understand this line of reasoning. That's why, just to make things simple and not to cause any controversy, I like to carry what I call the little empty envelope, all right? You see, when the plate gets passed, I bloop, put it in there like that. The deacon's counting the money. They only know me as the crazy empty envelope guy, but the people sitting around me, clueless. <laughs> I win, they win, God wins. No one gets hurt because no one knows. God knows. Huh? Let me ask you a question, huh? How's your mutual fund? Hey, for that matter, how's all your funds? Ha has the fund left your funds, huh? Has your do-re-mi taken a W-A-L-K, huh? <laughs> what if I told you that I knew about an investment you could make that the return would be mind-boggling? And, 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 and it's promised, it's guaranteed. I know what you're saying, there's no guarantees. This one's guaranteed, okay? Malachi 3.10, so it says in the Old Testament, it says, test me, give to God, and he will give you back. It goes like this, I give this, he gives this. I give this, he gives this. I give this, up right up there. He keeps giving, I can't outgive God. How crazy is that? <laughs> Do I love him? Sure, whatever. I'm just saying, if you give, he gives back. <laughs> I tithe. But just not like in the form of a 10% check, per se. Let me tell you what I mean. When I go to church on a Sunday morning, they're selling donuts. I buy some. Boom. That's a tithe. When my whole Sunday school class wants donuts, and I, out of the goodness of my heart, buy a whole bunch for the Sunday school class, boom. That's another tithe. But it's not about me spending money. It's about the smile on people's faces. That, my friends, is tithe enough for me. Case in point, the church was having date nights where we could take our spouse out for an evening, and they were charging $25 for child care. Boom shakalaka tithe. I'll tell you what the biggest tithe was. When I spent over $100 on our meal, and my wife was grinning ear to ear, that, my friend's a tithe. I, w I would like to give. I would, okay? But 
everything right now is just crazy. I mean, just crazy, you know? I mean, not normal crazy, really crazy, you know? And if after I paid my bills and took care of the things that I need and want, then I would I would consider giving something, but not now's crazy. We're, we're, we're gonna give later, we've already talked about it. I mean, down the road we'll be crazy givers, but right now it's just crazy. Yeah, I have money, that's a fact. But you know what, it's a heart thing between me and the Lord and the pastor because he needs to know what I'm giving now that we have this little building campaign going on, if you know what I'm saying. And pastor, I'd give a little bit more, I'd give a little something, something if you'd have that music minister sing a couple more hymns now and then, huh? Hey, what's this, watch this. Is that a Benjamin? I think it is. Benji likes hymns, come on. You want it? Ah, come on, pastor, do what I say, huh? Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> oh, in my life, Lord, be glorified in me. I put money in the plate. Wait, wait, wait. Look what I have here. I hope it doesn't interfere. That everyone can hear how I give with cheer That everyone could be like me Alright, well maybe we need to have a question and answer about tithing, huh? Maybe we will if we get through. So, so why should we give? What's your main reason for giving? That's the first one I had. God commands us to. What else you got? You love him? Who said that? He grows the kingdom? What? So you, yeah, so you don't run afoul of the Lord, upset him. Your washing machine won't quit. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's a way that you show honor to the Lord, right? And it just, it's a way to be faithful. And that's what we're talking about tonight, faithful servants, faithful to do what he asks. And that's all, that's all we talked about Sunday is just do the right thing. It's clear in the Word of God. We don't have to argue the point. It's clear. Just do the right thing. And know this. There's a whole lot of other reasons that you would want to give, even if it weren't these promises. Even if the Lord didn't command it, I would still want to give because everything that you give through your local church, you're participating in every good work that your local church is doing. I mean, you may not go to all the outreaches, but if you're helping fund them, then you're going to get a reward in heaven for that. Every life that's being restored here at the Passion Church, and you're a tither and a giver, and you're sowing into that, then you have a part in that. Every need that's met, every soul saved. That's a way to be a player in running your race. Marriages mended, hospital visits. Every child back there in the back being taught about Jesus. Every time you give, you're investing in those little golden fish that those little nursery kids eat. <laughs> no, just kidding. But no, you're investing in their lives. That's precious, isn't it? You know, we got missionaries that we support 
that goes all over the world. You name a country, we've probably got one near there. But, but we're impacting building wells, saving souls all over, the, all over the world. Through this little church, through our missions giving. And we meet so many needs in our community. What are the things that Jesus said to do? Care for the widows and the orphans and such? What about this Sunday when we go to the nursing home? We're caring for the elderly. What about when we care for the orphans through youth villages? We'll be going there next week. What about this Sunday when we go again to the DeSoto County Jail? We care for those in, that are in prison. Right? Had 15 souls saved this past Sunday? I'll tell you what. You get addicted to that kind of thing. You're a part of that if you're a tither and a giver into this church. Lives rebuilt at the Warrior Center. Went there this past Saturday. This church is a going church. This is a doing church. This is worth investing in. If you want to plant good seed in the good ground, you're looking at it. This church, the Passion Church, every outreach that we go on, our Passion for DeSoto campaign, knocking on doors. If you look around on a Sunday, there's, there's people here because we knocked on their door at one point in their life. They reached out and their lives got changed. Maybe you're here for that reason because your life got changed. Me and you went not long ago, knocked on a whole apartment complex, just me and you. Just knocking on doors and telling people about Jesus. Was it the most awesome experience? Amazing, she said. Totally amazing. Every act of love shown to the least of these you can be a part of. Let's turn to Matthew 25. Now, I'm not calling the least of these. Jesus is. But he doesn't mean it like they're not, you know, important. He's just saying that, that, that those who have the least. Matthew 25, 34. Jesus is telling a parable. He says, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Man, isn't that what you want to hear him say? I'd much rather hear him say, come than go. Woo! Come, inherit. We're heirs according to the grace of life. Heirs according to the promises of Abraham. Heirs of God. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. This is what you were meant to do. From, from the time the world was created. And here you is 6,000 years later and you're born. But God knew about you and this is what you were prepared to do. This is who you are. This doesn't take God by surprise. Verse 35, he says, For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry 
and feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick and in prison or visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of these, the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. I take it personally. Every life that you impact, every person you tell about me, every dollar that you give to help somebody out of a jam, every time you go over and help them fix their washing machine, whatever you do, if you even a cup of water, you'll be rewarded in heaven. When you, whatever you do to the least of these. So if you're not tithing, it's either because you don't understand Yet, what God wants you to do, or his commands, or it's this, that you don't, you don't really trust God. Because the commands are in black and white. And I don't think they're up for interpretation. So either you just didn't know that, or you just really don't trust God as much as you say you do. You just want to pretend you don't understand his commands. I may not trust God as much as I want to. But I can tell you this. I certainly would like to give him 10% than to have my 90% under a curse. Or my, hundred, my, my whole dollar under a curse. I'd rather give him a dime and have 90% with his blessing. I know him that much. I don't have to, it ain't difficult. Verse 39 says, the people and the Levites must bring these offerings of grain. We're still in Nehemiah 10. They're still vowing. New wine and olive oil to the storerooms and place them in the sacred containers near the ministering priest, the gatekeepers and the singers. We must promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. See, this place is important to God. We got people these days living in mansions. They, they got their lawn immaculate. They got flowers. They got gardeners, all these things. They got smart washers and dryers. <laughs> they got touch, touch screen refrigerators, cappuccino machines at their house. But then they go down to a church where they're still showing the overheads on an overhead projector with slides. Poor pastors manually typing out his sermons on an old manual typewriter. Tick, 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 you know. Praise team up here got one old 1875 pipe organ. <laughs> Jamming on that. <laughs> And they're saying to themselves, if we can keep the pastor poor, we can keep him honest. Look, y'all can keep me poor as you want to. I don't care about that. But what I do care about is God's house. And here at the Passion Church, we are in continual improvement mode. You ask any leaders that have met with me and talked with me for any period of time, we are about souls. We are about investing in people. And, and as far as the house itself goes, we are a continual improvement. I'm already thinking about how we're going to redo the, the platform. We, we, 
One day y'all came in here, there was a connect desk back there where it used to not be. There was a sign back there. And one day you came in, there was a new banner. One day there, there's always something. We, now we got walkie-talkies. We're, we are always improving the way we do church. We don't slow down. Our eyes are always roving. How are we going to get better? We're starting new ministries, more effective ministries. God, how can we be more effective at what we do? We're not sliding back. Continual improvement, and there's great concern, great concern about what God's house is doing, about how we're going to, you know, we got more people coming to church now. That's great. We've prayed for that for 20 years. But now what are we going to do with the people? The old structure and the old programs we got weren't designed for this many. We, don't, we haven't raised up enough leaders. We're, still, we're behind the curve. How are we going to assimilate them into the church? How are we going to teach them? And some of the people that's been here for 20 years praying for revival, praying for our church to finally grow, praying for all these things, now they're going to get all upset and say, well, there's too many people in here. I can't even find a seat anymore. I liked it back in the old days. And you don't realize that what a blessing God has given us. It's taken us 20 years to start moving in the right direction. <laughs> Man, I care about what happens here. Pastor Vickers texted me today where he saw we had over 100 adults in the sanctuary for the last two weeks. We went years and years with never, never that many people. And he said, I'm, I'm so, he said, my heart is so full for what's going on there. He said that, that, it, that a church can be revived and come back to life. You know? And that's what's happening. God has given us the desires of our heart. And he's, and he's doing it through us. And we got to stay with the program. This is not the time to turn back. You know, most of us started out swimming. We was half, we was half drunk. We didn't know what in the world in life. And we came to a wall. And there wasn't no way up. And there, the only thing was trying to get, make our way back. And he got, my brother Heath and he said it got real quiet on the way back. There was no more laughing and joking. He said nobody said a word. And he heard them all over there grunting and groaning. Just, and it was, it was about survival at this point. Just to get back. He said he had already went past his, he was in physical shape. He was a baseball player for a college team that ran six miles a day. He was a pitcher. But he said it was all that he could do to get to the wall. He has no idea how he got back. He gave everything. But they all three got back. He said they laid up on that rock and just breathed hard for about five minutes. Nobody said a word. They just left their beer sitting on there and... They got up and went and got in the car. There wasn't no more playing time at that point. This ain't time to play. This ain't time to play. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. See, this, he's talking to his people. He's not talking to a crazy world out there. We don't expect them to care anything about this. But if his people will... 
I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and restore their land. Why is the people of God in sin in the first place? Why does he have to heal our land? Why aren't we taking care of it? My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. It's time we start praying again. Don't let prayer fall off. Let's not go back to 6 or 7 on a Tuesday when we was running 15 and 16 not long ago. Let's have 30 and 40 in here praying. Let's have 100. It's time, guys. Don't you see that this is life or death? The days of, you know, goofing off and getting drunk and all that's behind us. Now we realize the brevity of life, the seriousness of what we're doing here. It's not just my life at stake getting back to the shore. It's everybody's that I can take with me. He says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive of every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple to set it apart to be holy. A place where my name will be honored forever. And I will always watch over it for it is dear to my heart. I can assure you. That all the tears that we have cried in our journey as a passion church, God has cried ten times more. Because this place is dear to his heart. He hasn't given up on us. But now is not the time for us to slack. Now is not the time to turn back. Now is the time to get it in gear. Start digging a little harder. Start paddling a little faster. God's house is important to him. He wants you to spend time with him. The Sabbath. Be here for the things that's going on. He wants you to tithe and give offerings and keep the house running. Make it a priority. Both of these things are a test of your heart, your time and your money. God's looking to see, can, are, will you be found a faithful servant? Nehemiah and his people realized that once they got to the wall, that was just the beginning. Once you build the walls, once you get saved, that's just the start. The real work happens after that, once you realize the seriousness of your situation. There's a day of rest coming, but not till we get to heaven. And we got to be about the Lord's business. They was worried about Jesus. They said, Jesus, you ain't even ate supper. You, you're not even stopping to eat. They was concerned about him. He said, man, I got to work while it's daylight. They said, that Herod's, don't you know Herod's going to kill you? He said, you go tell that fox. But I got things to do. Nothing's going to keep me from building my house. The gates of hell will not prevail against the people that will come together and be a, a chosen holy generation that will each pull their part. See, that, that promise in Malachi is not to individuals. It's to the house of Israel as a people. You know, you got 20% of the people in the average church give anything at all. 20% of the people doing all the work in the church. The other 80% are just there as takers. Now, I know I'm talking to the givers tonight. Forgive me for getting excited. 
But that ought not be. You say, well, I can't help what other people do. Oh, yes, you can. That's what you're here to do. It's to disciple, bring somebody under your wing and show them how Christian living is done. If you know, then you show. I'm living to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Not just, well, Nehemiah's day, they said, we promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. That's how revival begins, is we vow not to neglect the temple of our God. This is what God is doing. Let's do it. It's like life or death. Keep swimming. Keep swimming. for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Amen.